Hello. I am not Dustin Perry. I am James Key. Dustin is traveling to, well, not to, I guess he's in sunny Los Angeles, California. He went uh, on a trip for WrestleMania and a bunch of other stuff. We can talk a little bit about that in a bit. Uh, so it's another duo broadcast between me and my brother, Maddie Key. Maddie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I like how you say the last name. I know. I say that you're my brother. I introduce myself. I say that you're my brother and give you a last name. Oh, why not? I mean, you never know. Sometimes people have different last names, but I think by what is it? This episode 51? People 50? should know. No, I think it's 50. Is it 50? Did he yeah. miss another milestone episode? This would be... Well, I think if you're at 50 in a 52-week year, I think 52 is the milestone. You can kind of forgive the 50 because the one-year mark would be the real milestone. Yeah, but like there's something about 100 episodes too, and now you're halfway. It is episode 50. So there's something about 100 episodes, I think. So you're halfway to 100. So I Which, say he missed another milestone. Yeah, and then he's I probably going to miss 100. We should, we should make him sign an agreement to be here for 100 because that'll be the 17th. Yo, episode 52 is the kickoff of NHL playoffs too. That's pretty cool. That's like we planned it out, obviously. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Dustin is, I was looking at his Instagram, he is in California doing all the fun things. He was at both nights of WrestleMania. Today on his Instagram, he was at Super Mario Land. Uh, Fucker. I know, right? It actually looks really good. It does. Like, I, 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 showed, I showed wifey and I was like, hey, Dustin's at Super Mario World. And she just looks at me and she's like, that asshole. <laughs> she <laughs> wants to go so bad. I know he's got the he's got the pictures of the food, doing all the the Bowser activities, uh, finding all sorts of little treasures. And speaking of treasures, this show is brought to you by Now Your Treasures, which we will get to later. Again, always trying to do my best Dustin segue impressions. But we have a we have a pretty loaded show this week, I would say, regardless of whether Dustin is here or not. We have we're going to talk a little bit NHL as we gear up towards the playoffs uh raptors and and nick nurse saying some interesting things this past week Uh, the mlb is in full swing no pun intended and the jays had uh, completed their first series and then we're going to talk a little sports entertainment sports and entertainment news it was wrestlemania weekend full disclosure we're not really going to go into anything wrestlemania related um, but we will touch on some big news out of the wwe world um before we get to that we usually like to talk about our weeks so i will defer to you maddie uh and i know it's a little weird because we're brothers and we we keep in contact a lot but for the listening audience what did you get up to this past week shit what did i do this past week honestly i don't feel like i did anything like does that sound weird like it's one of those things where the week kind of just went by yeah, you close your eyes, you wake up, and it's Sunday again. Yeah, I mean, I would think, like, I can't even remember what I fucking did yesterday. Do you know well, what speak, I mean? Yeah, I mean, this week's like, gonna be big. It's Easter, and the Mario movie is coming. We're all yeah, the Mario, down. the Mario movies. I, I, it was one of those things where the trailer, first trailer, and the words and like the images and shit came out, get hyped. And then it kind of died away. And I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm interested to see this movie, but you have that kind of cautious optimism 
mm. that skepticism because of how video game movies have gone. And I, it's like what, like a 2% success rate that some of these have had in terms of, you know, not being piles of shit. But then like as more has come out and seeing more of the trailers and whatever, I've kind of got more hyped and it, it's given me kind of hope that because this is the way I thought about it is the live action ones are tough to do because it's so fantastical, like shit like Mortal Kombat, um, you know, Street Fighter, you know, like even dude, the Mass Effect movies essentially just fucking Star Wars in a way, but it's going to be tough to do. Right. But then you look at Nintendo and they their properties are built for animated movies like this. Hmm. So when you kind of look at it that way, it, it made me really excited. What gets me excited is that if this does really well, you know, you're going to see a Legend of Zelda movie. You know, you're going to see a Metroid movie. You maybe even see shit that you don't think of, like Kid Icarus or Kirby. Could you imagine like an animated Kirby movie? I'd be all over that shit. They should do a uh, tag up to our boy JP here. They should do a Kirby Guy Fieri team up film where they just go around eating things and just, uh reviewing it actually you have an interesting concept if like the concept of the kirby movie is kirby gets transported into our world he just becomes a food critic right but that would be kind of part of the comedy and he just eats random shit and turns into like a post box or whatever and he's like figuring out this world and king ddd's trying to do shit yeah like the spongebob film um kind of that'd yeah. be cool but yeah, no, my week, I, I mean, it took me a whole weekend to watch Avatar. Because yeah. when you have an infant child that has to eat and doesn't necessarily want to sleep Sorry. a full three hours in the day. It's taken me almost two decades to watch an Avatar, so I don't... <laughs> I, don't I, I watched like 15 minutes of the first one, so I don't... It was I like very predictable, desired. this one. I have zero desire. It's weird. Um, no, like, I mean, everyone has those things, right? That's like, like I said... Uh, that movie, like Banshees of Inisherin, no desire to watch it. Mm. Yeah, Oscar flick. Benjamin Button didn't fucking care to see that movie, right? right. So, no, I hear you. I honestly, the movie was very predictable. Yeah, you know, like watching it, I'm like, we're sitting there with my wife, like, this is gonna happen. Or I bet something like this will happen. And guess what? It doesn't happen. Yeah. So. I don't know. It's one of those things where you're not watching it for the story, right? You're watching it for like the visual spectacle that James Cameron presents. Yeah. So, but no, honestly, that's pretty much all I fucking did was <laughs> what try to watch Avatar and successfully complete it last night and watch some hockey. And that was pretty much it. It's yeah. a boring ass week for me. Well, I, uh, I got our boy JP into sports cards. Well, sort of. He was already he was already peeking around with some interest in in baseball cards, and I had to school him a little bit, give him a give him a little bit of education, so that he didn't go and, and blow his wallet on a bunch of meaningless stuff. And listen, I've brought in a couple guys into certain like breakers and um, card. Uh, companies or groups or whatever you have on social media and these guys are getting newcomer magic or like first break magic our cousin when he went in there hit hit some really big stuff right off the top so this weekend 
uh, I get JP in on a what's called Tops Gold Label, and it's uh, it's a, a middle end product. But basically, what it is is it's a bunch of packs, and in the last pack in the box, there is a autographed card that is frame in a plastic gold frame, uh, and they're really nice looking cards. So and, and decent for the price point. So. He gets in on the break. He hits a couple of nice. Like I hit a Bobby Witt Jr. rookie. Uh, he hits a couple. He gets the Pirates, so he gets an O'Neill Cruz rookie. And then on the last box, uh, he gets the auto, and he gets a Contreras or something from the Pirates. I forget who it was. It's not like a big autograph, but like a, a mid-level autograph. And then they decide to run in the group the remaining three boxes in a three-box break. And so I'm like, oh, I'm jumping in again. And so JP does too. And JP <laughs> gets literally the same teams that he did in the last break. Uh, he gets the Pirates and he gets the Reds. Actually, he got the Angels and the Red in the one before, and I forget who he got this time. But uh, didn't get anything major out of the Pirates. But what he did get on the last autograph again was a rookie auto of hunter green from the cincinnati reds and that's that dude who throws 105 mile an hour smoke uh I saw so, that yeah it's pretty cool card to get in your uh in your first two breaks so that was kind of my my thing was was just kind of hanging out with him there which was kind of neat to see you know just to bring people into the hobby of sports cards and and get them involved because it's really cool and it's a lot different than i think we remember as kids um you know, there's just different things about it. I mean, you've come to me, you've come with, come to me, you've come with me to the sports card expo in Toronto. And it's pretty fun. There's like a lot yeah. of stuff going on, a lot of interesting cards to look at, a lot of expensive cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just a cool little interesting world, especially if you're into, into sports, like, you know, there's cards that capture moments. They, they announced this year and I know, I, I know we're talking a little baseball now, but even on the jerseys of guys who are making their debuts, they have uh, MLB debut on the jersey when they play their first game. So if you, so let's say you get called up to the majors. In the first game you play, on your jersey will be a patch that says MLB debut. And they're going to take that patch and they're going to put it into a Topps one-of-one uh, rookie card. So... It's a very exclusive card to get with a patch that was used in that guy's first game, which I think is actually a really cool concept. That is cool. I wish the NHL did something like that. Oh, the NHL is shit for cards. They they partner with Upper Deck, which no no uh, smoke to Upper Deck, but they they don't do variations of cards well. They don't do autographs very well, like in their in their mid sets. The their higher end set is great. The cup is fantastic. But on the on the mid to lower end stuff, they don't offer as much variation, which I think prevents people from kind of getting in. Because listen, if you're not collecting the rookies in the in the series one and series two sets, the inserts are, are worth shit. But in something like NFL and, and Prism, they have like numbered cards and colored variations, which you kind of chase. There's fuck all to chase in the in the mid level hockey cards. But yeah, I agree. I wish the NHL would do something similar to give people something to chase. It's funny you talk about first break luck. It's I remember you got me into a couple with hockey, and the first one I did, I got that Leon Drysaddle autograph yeah. patch card. Yeah, you have a yeah you have a rookie Drysaddle auto patch. patch, which that dude just hitting his first oh, fifty wow. goal season, one hundred and twenty points. 
Yeah, so let's, you know, know what, let's, good transition. Let's go right into the NHL. And that's oh, it. Okay. We don't have this on the list, but I want to talk about that. I, I, you know what? I thought about that as we were putting this together. Um, and we, I had said this to you yesterday when I saw you. Is that, and I, I started to cut you off and kind of cut your lead in, but no. is that, is this the quietest 120 point season we're ever going to see? Dude, I've never, I've never seen somebody score so much and me not care and it's funny again to tie this to circle this back into the card piece too we were at a birthday party for our cousin's daughter this oh, weekend yeah, we and we were t- this weekend. <laughs> yeah and we were talking about <laughs> well, sports cards. Assholes. <laughs> well you don't want to leave all the personal shit in but we were talking yeah. about sports cards and i said the best thing because you know i've been looking for an austin matthews young gun the best thing to happen to the card market for me and the austin matthews young gun is connor mcdavid's crazy point season because now nobody gives a shit about like well it's still expensive but it used to sell for like 800 now it's like the 400 because everybody's got their attention on connor right yeah so the best thing for you was this happening because the value of the matthews card that you're hunting goes down the best thing for both our cousin and me is the seasons mcdavid and dry are having because he has that mcdavid rookie patch auto card yeah, it's a tribute auto, but it's it is still a nice card, and there's only I think there's only one population of it because it's numbered. So um, yeah, and he got it graded. But yeah, uh, dry saddle 120 points. Uh, I don't know the breakdown of it. Uh, I think he's got 50. I, I think it's right 50 here. 70. Yeah, so I have it. Yeah, it's 50 70. He is current. Yeah, because he just hit his 50th goal on a hat trick, which is unreal. That's awesome. And, but yeah, here's the so thing: 50, 70 pull- with 238 shots on goal. He's got a 21% shooting percentage, and in 75 games, can you pull up 21% shooting percentage? Is ridiculous. I, that, you, he, that's not sustainable. I think like the peak average. That's power was, play though. Like, can you can you pull up what his power play numbers are if you have it? Because I think that's been the the criticism against him all year is that. Edmonton's power play has been nothing short of lethal. They, they've been firing at a 33% clip. So mm-hmm. naturally, if he's a you know shooting option, I believe he's shooting option A on the power play, the way they run it. Um, I'll have to find this. Um, yeah, we can keep talking, but I'll dig, I'll dig for it. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I believe he's shooting option A on the power play. So if you think their power play runs at a 33% clip, then naturally... With the percentage of his goals being on the power play, it should fall within that twenty X percent shooting percentage. But it's actually so yeah. His, ooh, his power play goals, which I'm assuming is the PPG stat, is yep. thirty. See, right? That's my point. So if they're firing at a thirty three percent power play clip, it makes sense that his shooting percentage would be in the twenties if he has thirty power play goals. So that's been kind of the criticism, even even a little bit that creeps in on the McDavid stuff and and dry side. Forty-seven power play assists and twenty-one power play goals. So a little less than um, in terms of the goals, but, ha- for but more than McDavid, half. He's at sixty-two. More than half of his points are on the power play. For dry settle, yes, because he's got thirty power play goals and well, twenty-eight no. power play assists. Oh, I thought you said thirty something. No, he's got thirty goals and twenty-eight assists. So it's about uh, fifty. On the pa- 50 percent 49 percent so that's been kind of the criticism is that they've had the benefit of a, of a, a very lethal power play and I, apparently they're getting the calls so but at well, the end of the day yeah go ahead i'll say at the end of the day you can criticize that power play all you want i mean from a, a maple leafs perspective 
when they run their power play, I would take <laughs> I would take thirty goals in the power play from any one of these guys, right? If we could fire at a thirty percent clip. But if you think if you think about it, like yes, McDavid being McDavid, he's going to generate and whatever. But if you're a team going in and you see thirty power play goals already in this season, so essentially he's he like you said he's the number one choice. If you fo- they figure it out, right? Teams will figure it, out, especially in the playoffs. So, I mean. I tend to agree, but I think the issue here is that when you have a guy like McDavid on the power play, he tends to create space because you, there's so much attention drawn to him when he holds the puck and he moves in ways, and I think we've talked about this before, to pull you out of position. And I think when you're on the power play, it becomes infinitely worse. I think guys get, I think defenders get almost mesmerized and zoned in and things break down because you have this this guy that basically goes out there and does what he wants, and, and how do you defend that? And then when you can't, you're left with a guy like Drysaddle on the back door all the time, just netting pucks into into an, an open open gate. So, yeah. So I don't know. my thing is then, if you're, and it looks like as of right now, and I know we're going to probably get in-depth talk a little bit about playoffs, not necessarily about the teams, but just in the way things are. The Oilers are going to play the Kings in the first round, and they're pretty much dead even in the in the standings. The uh, Kings have one more point than the Oilers, and the Kings right are good, man. The Kings look good. They're young. They look good. Um, you know, so and the Kings, I think, head to head against the Oilers have played them very well this year. So, if you're the Kings, do you take away the shot with Drysaddle, or do you take away? McDavid because when you're on a penalty kill you have to choose one yeah, as your know, strategy man. like are you more worried about McDavid creating or are you more worried about dry saddle shooting because in my mind it's you focus on <laughs> McDavid because it takes away the shot potentially because if he can't create he can't get the puck as easily to dry saddle you let the goalie worry about the shooter I think to me, anyway, two on McDavid, two on Drysaddle, and the goalie worry about the other three, whoever they are. <laughs> well, because that's pretty much the rest of the Oilers team. It's just a bunch right. of it's you everybody know, third else. liners. Well, I guess Evander Kane, right? But I mean, he's not what he was in the Winnipeg days. But speaking of quiet point, like, LA having a hundred points, I felt it feels pretty quiet too. Well, especially considering they, you know, what was it like a year, maybe even two years ago, they were sold off or were selling off guys, you know, Jake Muzzin, Alec Martinez, but like they, you know, Tyler Toffoli. Yeah, they retooled to really quick. Tanner Pearson. Well, they Jeff drafted Carter. Byfield, right? Byfield was what, fourth, fifth, third? No, he was second. Was he? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Quentin Byfield was second. I think he's hurt right now. Um, second overall, 2020 draft. So two years first... ago, they had the second overall pick, and now they're back with 100 points. See, that draft is very interesting. Lafreniere went number one. Byfield went two. Stutzla went three. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if you, if you redo that draft even today, Stutzla goes one, Byfield two, and Lafreniere probably goes three. Yeah. Although Lucas Raymond is four and he looks really good in um, Detroit, which we saw last night. But there's, 
I mean, uh, dra- the draft is always hindsight 2020, right? Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. No one expected the Kings to be second in the Pacific and second in the West, essentially, right now. And, and I would say, actually, they're third, fourth in the NHL. No, they're okay. No, because that Metro is ruthless, although they prey on a lot of terrible teams. Um, but yeah, you didn't expect them to be second in the West this quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how they play, though. To be honest, like it's not the Kings of old that would just kind of grind you down and you know kind of funnel pucks to the net, cycle it around, and whatever. They move pretty good. We saw them against one of the games against the Leafs, where they, you know, they still play hard and they still play, you know, a kind of grinded out tougher hockey, but it's still, but it's more skill than they're used to playing with or having in general um that would be a team i would not want to play going to the playoffs like if you look in the west i'm mm-hmm. like minnesota is first in the central with colorado then dallas the two teams i would not want to touch in the playoffs would be dallas and los angeles if i'm any other team i don't disagree i also think that the colorado avalanche are severely i feel like they're under I, th- I feel like they're flying under the radar because they sat in kind of that wild card limbo for a lot of the year and they've turned it on in the back half and now again skyrocketed to second in the central 96 points and i feel like that they, they you hear a lot of this talk about teams that know how to turn it on at the right time people have been saying that a lot about tampa bay you know, because they they hit a little bit of a lull, but they they've been there and done that for three years. Uh, I, man, Colorado looks like they know how to turn it on at the right time. Well, and I don't know. They also had a lot of injuries all season. There's a stretch where McKinnon was gone. There's been the stretch where McCarr was gone. A uh, stretch where I think Bowen Byram was out for a little bit. Landis Cog. Landis Cog's been gone all season, and yeah. he may come back for the start of the playoffs. Like I think he's skating again, but. Could you imagine getting that dude back for game one? Yeah. Kind of fresh. But, yeah, I mean, I mean the, the West is kind of... I, I think people were, you know, even looking at the the fight there for the wild card, and we'll get into that after this, I think the West is way more open than the East, and in, but in a different way than people thought. I think people looked at the West as being weaker. I think the West just came on late. And a lot of these teams, man, it's hyper competitive. You look at those teams one through whatever eight, I guess the stupid way the the league shake down now for the playoffs. But I don't know, man. Any one of those teams, maybe outside of even honestly, maybe it's just the wild card teams that that you're a little bit skeptical about. But those six teams, I. I they're interchangeable for me, man. Yeah. Like I'm looking at this. The only ones that I'm genuinely not necessarily scared of is Minnesota, mostly because with Kaprizov out, who knows mm. what they'll be going into the playoffs, not having, you know, one of the league's best scores going into the playoffs for a team that's not necessarily as offensively forward as the rest of the league. Um, because like you look here, in their goals for in those top six teams. Actually, in all the teams in the Western playoffs right now, so including the wild card, they are last 
for goals for? Ironically, tied with the Kings. Uh, no, Kings have 266 goals oh, for. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. I was, th- I was looking at differential, my bad. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. So, I mean, and that's with the recent, or that's not necessarily indicative of where they would actually be without Kaprizov because he's only been gone for like a week and a half. You so know, when, you look at, when you look at that goals for stat, it's funny you mention that. You look at Vancouver, 260 goals for, <laughs> 280 goals against. That's so bad. And then you look at, te- like, look at a team like Nashville, 220 goals against, which is pretty good considering you know, the rest score. of the playoff teams. But they just can't fucking score, right? And you look at a team like Chicago who can't score or stop a puck, 277 goals against, right? But again, they're the bottom of the league in a, like an eight-game losing streak. But I mean, look at Edmonton. You know, they're... Vancouver, arguably on paper, is close or is a better defensive team than Edmonton almost than and just can't score. Yeah. Right. So it's weird how it shakes out that way. But like if you're if you're Edmonton going into the playoffs that your goals against is that and that's Minnesota saving grace, 205 goals against. That's best in all of the playoff teams going into the West. Best in class. I mean, they've yep. said that for years. I mean, ever since... I mean, it's weird how those mentalities carry forward on these teams throughout time. Well, even, you know, Boston and the way they play in Minnesota from the time of their inception. I Was it Demers was in there? Or was it Lemaire? Mm-hmm. I can't remember. One of the, Jacques Lemaire for New Jersey. Well, ended in ended in air. Um, <laughs> but close. they were... <laughs> They were a defensive team first, always played staunch defense. And that's kind of been the Minnesota way since they came back into the league. And I think they proved it this year. But in terms of the wild card, let's talk about the West. So the West has the Seattle Kraken, 90 points currently as of recording. The Jets have 89 points and knocking on the door still, not mathematically eliminated, are the Calgary Flames with 87 points and the Nashville Predators with 84 points. So I'm going to ask you a question. By the looks of it, only one of Calgary or Winnipeg is going to get in. If you were any one of these fan bases, who would be losing it way more? Not getting Calgary. in. Yeah. That I you don't even need to finish that statement. That's Calgary. <laughs> they were they won the West last year, second in President's Trophy points behind Florida Panthers, who are kind of in the same position if not a worse one in the East. Uh, actually, no, they're in the same position. They're on the outside looking in one point back of the wild card. Um, and they didn't just, they lost Kachuk, but they kind of win the trade, but then got Huberto back. So a hundred point player for a hundred point player. They signed Kadri. Literally what sunk them this year has been their goaltending. There was a stretch where they just could not get a save from anybody. From Dan Vladar, Jacob Markstrom, neither of them were playing well. Now, in their last five, they're four and one. And they've gone on quite a hot streak. They're playing Chicago next, which I think is either tonight or tomorrow. And then the big one is Wednesday. They play Winnipeg. And now, Winnipeg's essentially <laughs> off until then. If you were gonna if you were gonna watch So yeah, they play I, the Blackhawks tonight. 
So, oh no, tomorrow night. So if you are interested in games, uh, Calgary is one to watch playing uh, Chicago play tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. And then, well, yeah, because you're right. Because if they win, if they beat Chicago tomorrow night, they're tied now with Winnipeg. And then if they beat Winnipeg on Wednesday, it's essentially a four-point game. <laughs> if you're if you're in the mood for meaningful games this time of year, these next two games for the Calgary Flames are basically playoff games. Exactly. So, like, if you think of it like this, if they beat Chicago tomorrow night and they move into a tie with Winnipeg, that Wednesday game is going to be spicy. Biggest game of the that, year. It's going to be ruthless, and it's, these guys will be playing for keeps. It's the biggest game in the league so far this year. Yep, 100%. And, uh, and you know what? Calgary's path significantly easier than the Jets. The Jets will play Calgary, Nashville, San Jose. Then they got to play Minnesota and Colorado. Whereas the Flames get Chicago, Winnipeg, Vancouver, Nashville, San Jose. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you're if you're Calgary, if you can get through that Winnipeg game, you feel real good. The worst yeah. the worst case scenario for Calgary would be an overtime or would be an outright loss obviously, but they would not want an overtime win. They want to win that one outright. But the and <laughs> what works for Calgary though is they're playing two teams two two if you can kind of count San Jose that are in the in the Connor Bedard race. So yeah between san jose and chicago so these guys these guys are doing everything they can to lose every single game so so if you if you're chicago are you more focused on wanting bedard or playing playoff spoiler for calgary if if i'm chicago i'm trying to find a way to ice the white Sox as my team that's (laughs) that's if i can really find a way to to convince people that you know Luis Robert is Andreas Anathan, whatever his name is. Athanasiu. Athanasiu, thank you. Then I, I had to I, say that name. Don cherried myself. Um, yeah. If I, I thought, I whatever. <laughs> if I could find a way to get Lou Bob in there wearing number 69, I'm, I'm figuring out a way. That's what I'm doing. So that to me says that's a playoff game, 100% for yes. both teams. And given the styles those teams play and we've seen Winnipeg try to play bigger and tougher when they play the Leafs because they just get up to play them for some reason. Um, and Calgary under Daryl Sutter is just a hard team as all Sutter teams are. I, I would not be surprised if that is a high penalty minute game, a high oh, it's penalty be. minute game. Oh, if you, if you're in the mood for some, some inspired vicious old, a little bit of old time hockey, that game is, is the one to watch this week. Uh, let's shift gears over to the East uh, Wild Card. The New York Islanders currently sit atop with 87 points, and the Pittsburgh Penguins with 86. And as you mentioned, the Florida Panthers are one point back with 85. Uh, still not mathematically eliminated are the Buffalo Sabers, the Ottawa Senators, and Detroit Red Wings, and the Washington Capitals. It's really weird to see the Washington Washington Capitals not involved in the playoffs. Um, were they last year? They were, right? Uh, I think they were. I think they just barely made it in. They, but yeah. man, um, yeah, the East isn't as wide open. I mean, the East has pretty much been set for three months. Very top heavy. Very top heavy. When you look at the points in the East, like the top six teams outside of, funnily enough, the Tampa Bay Lightning, all over a hundred points. Uh, 
and then the wild card hunt teams are all in the 80s whereas i think in the west at least seattle you know they're all going to be 90 point teams uh, and up so i think it's interesting that the islanders are on the bubble and they made that big move for bo horvat and they're they're only sitting at 87 points I find it funny, like you mentioned, that the Florida Panthers are basically in the same and almost have an identical record to the the Flames, uh, trading players and suffering, you know, similar outcomes. But the one team that really intrigues me here is the Pittsburgh Penguins, because let me tell you, outside of Tristan Jari, if I was the Boston Bruins, I think playing the Pittsburgh Penguins would be my worst nightmare. Well, when you have a guy that can will a team to victories the way Sid has. This team was not in it at all a couple months ago. Like they were hovering around, you know, a couple teams behind in the in the wild card, a couple teams back. And it almost feels like Sid has quietly single-handedly dragged this team into the playoffs. Or is dude, dragging them into the playoffs dude, potentially. They're the you're only, right. Like if you're the only playoff team with a minus goal differential. Yeah. They're minus one. They're pretty even. They give up as much as they score. They, but you know which, what it is? They get they get blown out. Yeah. When they lose, they get blown out. And that's why they're a minus one goal differential because they've had shit goaltending all year. And I know this because Tristan Jari is my fantasy goalie. He's a fucking <laughs> he's been fucking terrible. When he's and Cost he's been hurt. W's. And then Casey DeSmith um is their backup. Um but What's Jari has spread though for Boston. Goal yeah. for two eighty six. Goals against one sixty six. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a this that's a unicorn season, right? But if you're the Penguins yeah. or if you're the Bruins, I don't I don't think I want to play the Penguins. And I think for the reason you said, I think I think the Bruins are still a fairly they're not young, but they're not the same Bruins they were ten years ago. Now they're having a historical season for sure. I mean, they've only lost four times in regulation at home, which is outrageous. But they've lost 12 games. That, that's outrageous. Like, I know I just said it about the other stat, but that's ri- absolutely ridiculous. They've lost yeah. 12 games in regulation. Um, yeah, I don't know that I, I don't know that I want to play the Penguins. And to be honest, I don't know. I'd rather for them. I'd rather the Panthers get in. Yeah. And I'd rather them play that. Like if I was Boston, I'd rather play the Panthers than I'd play the Penguins. But <clears throat> Because I just, does I just feel, does it just feel like the Columbus team that swept Tampa? Now I'm not saying that Pittsburgh's going to play Boston; they're going to sweep Boston. But doesn't it just give you that vibe of a team that Columbus who squeaks in in the year they did? Oh, yeah, and then just outright swept Tampa, and not even close. Like they handed Tampa their lunch. And that's the thing four. when the Boston Bruins have had relatively zero challenge in anything they've done this season. And they have a goaltender who hasn't done it. They have... Who was atrocious in Buffalo for, what, how many years he was there to now having this kind of season. Like, to me, it always says this, is what's more likely, the goalie they had in Buffalo for three, four years or the one year that they have him in Boston? You know, they got Tyler Bertuzzi, who I think is going to be playing his first playoff game ever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he's played in Detroit. 
<clears throat> you know, I just I don't know. I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot more question marks surrounding the Bruins than people want to admit because of their incredible regular season. But I wouldn't be too um again, Panthers I wouldn't be so worried about. It's the Penguins that I would be worried about. And to a lesser degree, if somehow I don't know how it shifts, if the Islanders were in the eighth spot, you run into a hot Sorokin and Well that's the thing is Sorokin and um, what's it? Vasilevsky are arguably the two best goalies in the East. Yeah, right? Sorokin, so, Shesterkin, and Vasilevsky. I mean, are interchangeable at this point. Yeah. Uh, well, and yeah, you're right. Like if if the Islanders say drop back and end up in that second wild card spot, and they play Boston, th- like you're right. Two teams that they would not want to play as the wildcard teams are the two teams that they're probably going to have to face in either yeah. the Islanders or the Pens. Um, I just I look at this and just top to bottom, Jersey Rangers. That's going to be a fantastic series, and it looks like that's what it's going to be because obviously the Islanders or the Pens are not going to catch the Rangers. And it's really dependent on where those two teams are going to end up, whether it's Jersey ahead of the Rangers, because, you know, they both have five games left and Rangers only three points back. Um, And Carolina is likely going to play either one of the Islanders or the Pens. But that Jersey Rangers series is going to be good. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, And we'll have a full preview in episodes coming up maybe two weeks next week because the week after is the playoff start all right sounds good um i don't know we have a couple other things on the nhl docket i don't know if there's anything you wanted to jump into from your end um did you want to talk about the senators and, and ryan reynolds for a bit uh a little bit mostly not necessarily for specifically the sens because i think we all know the sens could use the star power of ryan reynolds who's arguably the most popular or you know one of the most famous actors on the planet it's what he would do for the overall league right you know if because if you look at what he's done with Wrexham which is you know you have the documentary series and whatever and popularity for that team has skyrocketed since him and uh what's his nuts took over as the owners um Rob McElhinney yeah Rob McElhinney could you imagine what he would do with the passion project that would be the senators something that is closer to his heart you you could argue he would probably put more into it in terms of spirit and you know passion than he did for Wrexham. and i think that what that does is is it gives the league more cachet which is what they need i think yeah. that yes it would obviously boost the sends but i think in tangent it would just the marketability for the rest of the league that he would bring would be fantastic because we all know that the one thing holding the NHL back right now is their marketing ability compared to something like the NFL or the NBA is not there. Mm-hmm. I don't touch on baseball mostly because baseball is it's America's baseball isn't what it was. Itself. Well, it's America's pastime and it, it kind of still sells itself. Yeah. And not just that it's baseball is more of like a, you go to the game or you listen on the radio and passing, have it on in the background where the other sports are you kind of have to be there to truly you know enjoy it or watch it on tv like it's it's more visual than what baseball is right Mm -hmm. um 
And I just think that what he would bring in terms of potential opportunity for whether it's marketing or, you know, business development, because not only would he do the sense, but they would lean on him to say, Hey, do this. And it would help with league growth and things like that. So I just think that even if his bid comes in slightly lower than the next person in front of them, I think for long-term potential and long-term, I guess, business opportunity, they would be smarter to take that one. Yeah, I think with his bid, regardless of financial implications, it comes with a certain set of intangibles that other bidders don't have. And I look at it from a micro perspective on how, and I've had this conversation with numerous people before, how when Drake became the global ambassador for the Raptors, the franchise fortunes immediately started turning around and, you know, things started happening. The merch started selling. Free agents started looking here. Uh, you know, there there just came, you know, a different, I don't know whether you want to call it swagger or uh, air of importance surrounding the team. Mm-hmm. I think... A legitimacy maybe i think from from like a pop culture perspective you know i'm not necessarily competitive or anything like that but um i think if he was or his group featuring him were to purchase the ottawa senators i think it changes things like that downtown arena it, it builds a culture around the team things are probably popping around that area you know what i mean restaurants like i, I would imagine that a whole new way of life would exist around a brand new arena that they're planning to build closer to the city center because Kanata is in oh. buttfuck nowhere in Ottawa. It is stupid um, to get to. Like They're like, oh, we have all this parking. We have all this. It's like, yeah, because it's in the fucking middle of nowhere. <laughs> so I think I think that's the, the benefit that he'll bring. And... I think the only, and I, this is no knock on, on the city of Ottawa. I think the only unfortunate situation for the NHL is that it's the Ottawa Senators mm-hmm. and not, you know, the Arizona so could he change Coyotes, right? But, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, if you're the NHL, the, you, you'll take him on any team at this point for, you know, FaceTime. I mean, it, it's instantly shareable and on every news uh, or sports news outlet when he's at the Ottawa game taking pictures of guys dressed like Deadpool. Yo, I mean, Deadpool jersey night. Could you imagine where it's a Deadpool face on the Senator's jersey? I mean, you'd have to clear that Go with Disney. Disney. But, right. But uh, something of the like. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, you get him and, and Blake out there, it becomes an it becomes an event just because they're mm-hmm. there. You know, and that's, you know, it's kind of what it, the city of, you know, I don't harbor the same hate as a fan for the Senators, I used to I actually thoroughly enjoy watching that team. Uh, oh, they're they're gonna, fun. In two years, they will be a top team in the East for sure. Yes, and they're a fun team to watch, you know, and there's no no Chris Neal. So, um, yeah. I mean, Austin Watson comes close, but... Um, Chris Neal and Chris Simon. <laughs> so, I think, yeah. I mean, I hope he wins the bid. I think he's got, like you said, a personal uh, investment in the area, in the city. I think he went to school there. He lived there for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. uh it would be It'll great be awesome. if he it would be great if he could turn the Ottawa Senators into another one of our hockey national treasures. <laughs> Yo, this that's a Dustin esque segue. 
Uh, speaking of now your treasure, or speaking of treasures, wow, I butchered it already. <laughs> wow. The first one I did, it was great. Dude, step, now, you went to step in the pool, fell straight in. Hey, sometimes you got to run before you can walk, right? Yeah, so, right. speaking of, this episode is brought to you by Now Your Treasures. Now Your Treasures are purveyors of licensed fine art prints for movies, comics, TV, and video games. Source from galleries in the US and UK, which include artists from all over the world. Visit at Now Your Treasures on Instagram and DM 43.6 for 43% off any order. That's right, 43% off any order. All orders are shipped with tracking and complimentary insurance. And you can view the entire ever-expanding inventory at nowyourtreasures.sierra.com. That's N-O-W-Y-O-U-R-T-R-E-A-S-U-R-E-S dot C-A or dot com. Not bad. Not well, bad. you know, like I said, it started off a little shaky, but we got there. Start off a little. Samsonite. I was way off. It's <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Now you're good. Now you're good. Um... Let's talk a little Raptors. Uh, and you and to be quite honest, you kind of clued me into this just before we recorded here or we jumped on. But it seems like there might be a little... And I mean, it feels like there's been turmoil in Raptor land all season. It's been a very up and down season. There are times when this team looks like it's getting shit together. There are times when this team looks completely and utterly selfish. There are times when they look unselfish. There are times when they look like they figured it out. They get Jakob Pertle. It solves the big problem. But at the same time, you know, they're, people are out questioning whether they should have sold off and tanked. Now they are basically have the play-in in their crosshairs. All the while, Nick Nurse was asked about his opinion or thoughts on the Raptors and this season and i don't know maddie do you want to frame it up because you brought it to me and yeah. i think you have so this all kind of started with um last thursday uh there was an article that came out in the toronto sun uh and i'm pulling this from the article on michael grange from sportsnet so you can check it out for full in depth uh from his point of view uh the report was from toronto sun uh doug smith and they're essentially giving some credence to rumors that have been kind of circulating all year um essentially saying that with Nick Nurse going into the final year of his contract, he might be looking for a way out. That even if the Raptors come to him with an extension, that he may be seeking an opportunity elsewhere. Uh, the kind of leading, I guess, team for his services are apparently the Houston Rockets, which aren't even really a good team. So I don't know if he's looking at it saying, hey, I like the potential and I like to see what's there. But... That's the purveying rumor is that it's the Houston Rockets. And the counter to that is that the Raptors have also been kind of prepping for his exit with his replacement with potential uh, or the former Celtics head coach, Ime Udaka. And if I pronounce that wrong, I truly apologize. But he had ties with the Raptors previously and specifically with Masai Ujiri. And he was actually the runner up for the coaching job. Uh, before Nick Nurse took the role. So that's kind of been circulating around a little bit. And I guess it's just kind of grown over the past a little bit, specifically uh, when talked with Nick Nurse. And, you know, they asked him, they said, you know, where's your head at kind of as the the season's coming to a close, you're kind of getting ready for the play-in or the playoffs. And here's the quote. 
it's been a difficult difficult season from a number of standpoints. Early on, we had some pretty serious injuries to some key guys. The trade deadline stuff was as interesting as it gets. I think when the season gets done, we'll evaluate everything. Even personally, I'm going to take a few weeks to see where I'm at, where my head's at, to see how the relationship with the organization is and everything. It's been 10 years for me now, which is a pretty good run. The follow-up question was if he'd put more thought into, for whatever reason, you might not be back with Toronto next year. No, I think I'm concentrated on this job for sure and this one game, but I think that 10 years is a good time to sit back and reflect a little bit. I think we're going to do that all when the season ends. So, that, a couple of things. That's kind that of the, the stuff that the shit that hit the fan, I guess, when, in terms of Raptors and Nick Nurse. Yeah, there's a couple of things in, in that quote that kind of stick out to me. The first one being, and, and maybe you can read it back for me um, and for everyone listening. When he talked about the trade deadline, yeah, he just said the trade deadline stuff was as in, the trade deadline stuff was as interesting as it gets. So, and I mean that that's a lot with in terms of the rumors that guys specifically wanted out, and it looks like no one was really dealt or out, th- or they were prepared, or they, you know what I mean? Like I think, yeah, you know, guys, I, the rumor was OG wanted a, a better opportunity uh, to be more of a focal point player, uh, which, I mean, in all fairness to OG, understood, but any team you were going to was probably going to acquire you because they're a contender and they wanted a complimentary piece to shore a team up, which means yes. you're probably not going there to get more opportunities. Um, like Solo. Uh, <laughs> the... I think there's still some confusion from Nick Nurse as to how he's supposed to deploy his team under the current, you know, paradigm and, and bench. I, th- I believe he was basically begging his bench to do something the other day. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's been a rough go. At times, he's played Fred Van Vliet 58 minutes, and it's a 48 minute game. Like it's it's. Well, it's last been this year, he's run him into the ground. Right. It's been tough going. And if I'm Fred Van Vliet, I don't know if... And maybe that's all it. Maybe there's... And we probably don't know. I mean, well, we don't know. We're not in the room. But I would imagine there's a lot of disconnect between guys like Van Vliet probably saying, hey, man, I'm fucking tired and I can't do it by myself. And Nick Nurse is like, well, I'm playing you because management has given me nothing to to solve this issue, Right. And Nurse has probably told management uh, numerous times, I have three fucking stretch wing players, but I have no guards. <laughs> what do you want true. me to do with this? You know, at, at, at times, fucking Pascal Siakam has been the default guard on this team, which is redonkulous. So, That's not his position at all. No. So, I don't know. Udoka, I mean, the dude, the dude had a a what's the word i'm looking for consensual relationship with an employee in boston that's what led him led to him getting let go because it's against their internal policies uh so i don't i don't know much about him i don't know i mean the celtics are a good team i don't know how much of a hand he had in building that team i think he was only there for a year or two um so well, I guess he has quite the relationship with Ujiri, you know, being a finalist for that gig. I don't so know, man. This didn't it, just come from Doug Smith either. Uh, Udoka came also from a Boston beat reporter, uh, Steve Bolpet, 
who also led credence to the rumor about Udoka becoming the successor to Nick Nurse. Right. And he also led the Celtics to the NBA Finals in his first season as head coach as well. I mean, yeah, it's... Maybe it just feels weird to not have Nick Nurse around after a decade and a championship and him being the coach of the national team and being guest guitarist on every time the Arkells play in Toronto. It's it's Maybe that just feels weird to me, but maybe the team would benefit from a, a different look. And maybe those moves that Masai said would be available in the offseason or, or anything better are actually that way. I mean, I don't know. And this is the thing. We don't we don't hear what the actual offers for the players were. So we can't corroborate when the moves are made, if they are better or equal to what was offered at the trade deadline. So and maybe that's the position of nurse and maybe nurse's approach here is telling about what did happen at the deadline. Cause you would assume he'd be in that war room. You would have to, for the coach to say where, you know, he would probably target either, positions of need or specifically players because you know yes management scouts and whoever else would be there but he's on the floor playing against certain teams to say i want that guy we played against him he may not be the star player which everyone's going to know about but as a sixth seventh eighth bench player he can say that guy on this team while they're not going anywhere and we're in a position we could get him and he would be an excellent tertiary piece for our team and for the system that he wants to run. Exactly. You know, he could say, I've seen this guy play in a swing or, God forbid, some more iso ball. But he could say, I've seen this guy play in that. And I think he doesn't work for that system, but he would work for ours because of XYZ talent or skill or whatever he has specifically for that. Yeah, I mean, you look at a guy like Gary Trent, right? Like, I mean, Gary Trent junior when the trade for norm powell went down didn't really have that much of a um the, the hype around him or, or the the cachet and look at him now i mean he's a piece that they've they've up until this point been unwilling to move so uh, and i like gary trendless team i think he's the perfect sixth man mm-hmm. um you know and i think he he would be an integral part uh, of a set of a retool or a successful team in this city so i don't know i think I don't know if a little bit is, you know, we're kind of going off track of the nurse piece, but is it, you know, I, I thought they were, I thought the, the whole group was close and I don't know where the degradation came from. And part of me is, is worried that it's Masai's hubris that he wants to stick to his guys and you can't just keep everybody. And I thought we learned that through the DeRozan piece is that you can't, you got to make the move and maybe that's what he's waiting for. Maybe he's waiting for that another opportunity to trade the one guy for the one guy or the couple pieces for the one guy that's going to take you over not the fun guy, the one guy that's going to take <laughs> you over the top and and lead you to another championship. Yeah, I mean but who's I'm that just guy? Wondering. Sorry. Sorry. And if if I'm being quite honest, I don't know you could peg that guy last time because Kawhi had sat and, and he was pretty vocal about wanting out. I don't I don't know who that guy is in the NBA in 2023. 
Right. I think the big thing has always been people are like, it's going to be Giannis when he's up. But who knows if that's even a thing and you don't bank on a player that's currently with another team and signed for X amount of years. But my question is, is if this is what comes out now, you can't have him coach next year. Do you know what I mean? Like if his head's already kind of checked out and wondering what comes next, it's either A, he says my head's not in it. I'm looking somewhere else. Let me go with my contract. Or B, they say, your head's not in it. And given everything that happened last year, some players maybe stop playing for you. We hear it all the time in hockey. So I'm wondering if... Oh, once the cracks in the armor start to show from a player-coach perspective, it's game over. Yeah. And so I'm just wondering if, regardless of him having one season left, if you know that's kind of what it's coming to, so I feel you get ahead next of it. year. Yeah, he's got one more year left, I believe. Based on this article um, and how I'm reading it. So, I mean, but e- either way, if he doesn't, then, okay, go your route of finding what's next. But if he does have the one year left, you don't. You just kind of get ahead of it then. If you know the players don't want to play for him, although who's going to be here? And are the guys that don't want to play for him going to even be here? So, you know it's kind of almost a foregone conclusion. Van Vliet's gone. You know, he's going to want more money. And even if he gets, even if the Raptors offer the same deal from another team, I don't think he necessarily takes it. I think he said, you know, I won a title here. It looks like they're kind of going to go through a rebuild. And he probably doesn't want to be a part of that. So how this team shakes out roster wise and coach wise. And it's, it sucks that that's the amount of changes that have to go on with this team. Right. I don't think they need a full rebuild though. I, I don't, I think they can similar to the Kings. I think they can retool with one or two players. I think they need a guard, whether it's a new starter after Van Vliet or, or a second option or, or someone who can play the two solidly every night. Like they haven't had a slasher since forever um and they've they've got a center sorry probably since demar no yeah um then you have pertle who i think if you can resign i think the plan is to resign him Uh, a solid Mm -hmm. option at number one at the at the center position sorry at the the five i keep saying one because i feel like big center one um yeah no it makes sense and then you have, you know, Siakam, OG, and Scotty, and I think that's where something's got to give, or they got to. I, I guess they play both of them on the floor, one at power, one at small. And then, again, you're you're a two guard and a, and a point guard away from being competitive. So, I think that's. I think historically we've had a decent backcourt. I mean, even the championship, it was at one point it was Demar and. And Kyle just before we won, and then we had Demar and Fred, so we've always kind of had this really strong backcourt, and we yeah. don't anymore. Yeah, and I think like it's funny that we 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 as a city and a fan base win the title, and now there's like this expectation. Yet we forget that's one year of success versus the 27 years of non-success. Do you know what I mean? And I get that it says, hey, you reach that level, you either want to one, maintain, or you don't want to fall back to being that unsuccessful, you know, 
kind of bottom feeder team that every now and then maybe squeaks into the playoffs and Ujiri's obviously a competitive guy and he wouldn't want to go to that but I just the way the NBA is now I'm, I'm just thank god we got out of super teams man like thank god we got out of every team just signs you know three or four teams sign the seven biggest players in the league or best players in the league and you just kind of duke it out between them but I just I I don't see what the path is in terms of short term for this team to become outside of just tanking for two years which Ujiri does not want to do right do you know what I mean like I don't see the pathway to get back to the one of the top teams in the east or the total overall NBA yeah and I mean people are questioning like you said, why wouldn't they tank? And I'll, I'll I'll remind people that MLS and E is a is a corporation that likes money, and mm-hmm. playoff games bring you significant amounts of revenue. So, just a reminder yeah. that if they play their way well, into the play-in, win a game or two, end up in the playoffs, there's at least three, well, two home games full of potential playoff revenue. Right, and. If if it's anything like the NHL, playoff games is pure revenue for the owners because it's playoffs. It's not guaranteed. So anything that comes from that is pure bank for them. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the direction the Raptors take. I mean, I think people are kind of waiting on, even though they potentially could be in the playoffs, I feel like people are already looking past it and are waiting on bated breath for the offseason uh, and you know whose off season is is done is the Toronto Blue Jays. As they... He's so smirking as he gets through that. Tra- I, I will say this: the transitions may not be as smooth as sometimes Dustin has, but they're as clever. But right? The puns are better. The puns are better. Okay, I'll take it. Um, the Jays have completed their first three game series against the St. Louis Cardinals. Why the fuck it was against the St. Louis Cardinals? We have zero idea. Uh, you know, uh, opening weekend has or opening day and opening week and opening whatever MLB wants to call it has come and gone or is still going. I don't even know. They just say it's opening until it's not anymore. Uh, yeah, the Jays played the, the Jays played the Cardinals and they had some really fucked up matchups for opening. Although I think it's awesome that the Yankees played the Giants more interleague. No, because Judge was going to go to the Giants. Oh. Yeah, I mean, he cranked a dinger in, what, his second game? Right? So, uh, I don't know. MLB's got to fix their scheduling, and it just seems like I, Jays against the Rays even would have made sense. Like It's just, it's so weird. Someone, so what it should be is, I think opening weekend, as best you can, should always be divisional. Yeah. Although uh, the Jays are in for a little bit of a favor this year with significantly less divisional play uh, and more interleague play this year. So that'll be, I mean, I think it's better for them. You know, think have, so? yeah, you don't have to play the Yankees or the Rays as much because they're right. shit against the Rays, no matter who the Rays. But, the Rays again, the Rays could ice the Blackhawks or field the Blackhawks <laughs> and they'd be and they'll beat, the, beat Jays. the Jays for some reason. I um, I remember speaking of Jay's Rays, and this just goes back and nothing to do with anything this season. It's just kind of I remember. I think it was you, me, Jeff, and one other person were at Boston Pizza, and we were getting ready to watch a hockey game, and it was the Jays versus the Rays, and the Jays were down something like eleven to two, 
And then in the seventh inning, they just came back and won and ended up winning the game like 15 to 12. <laughs> and we were just like, holy shit. And it, it, it's just, it sticks out to and me because I think it's the only time I've ever witnessed the Jays actually beat the Rays. I've like, witnessed say, it watching. That was the last time the Jays beat the Rays. Um, yeah, but the Jays had their first three-game series. It was against the St. Louis Cardinals, who, in their own right, really great team. Uh, a very decent challenge for the Jays. Uh, a challenge the Jays did not look up to having dropped two of three in this series. The other odd thing is that they had the Jays go opening day, and then they gave them a day off, which was also kind of weird. But uh, in terms of kind of first reactions, early concerns about the Toronto Blue Jays season, again, it's three games into a 162-game season. People, I get, I get it. Writers got to write. Podcasters got to podcast. People got to say shit. It is only three games in a 162-game season, so overreactions, not welcome. However, I think there are some things that you're a little bit concerned about because they feel like carryovers from times past. Uh, you know, we talked about it a little bit before. I think Bo Bichette's fielding oh. is a level of concern or an area of concern. It was literally the first play that I saw go to him. And here's the thing. If it's a 50, 50 play, you're better just eating the ball, picking it up. Maybe, you know, kind of setting your, setting your feet, making the throw. If the guy is safe at first, cool, but trying to make a highlight real play on day one game one, and you stretch it out and he hucks the ball way over Vladdy's head. Guy gets two bases. Like, it's just, man, just make the safe play. Like, Bo doesn't even, it's it's not even the thing where it's saying that he's not a good shortstop. It's almost, and this is a terrible thing to say, he's almost a dumb shortstop. Mm-hmm. Like, the talent's there. It's just make better decisions. Do you know right. what I mean? I, I do. I think, I think it's, with him, he wants to be the guy so bad. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to get your reps in and those things will come. You like you're right. You don't force it because when you force it, it becomes a real bad story. And I think we saw that with that that one specific play. I, and I and think all he of gets. Last year. Yeah, and all of last year. I mean, he's not going to be a Gold Glove shortstop anytime soon. Um, but people still talk about him getting his reps in, which I kind of I go back and forth on because you think by now it should, you know, show some sort of you know, a uh, path to improvement. And it just doesn't feel like it. And I think it gets masked by how good his bat is. Um, you know, so that would be an, an area of concern for me. The other one I think was uh, a little bit, Alec Manoa has a little bit of a shaky out and he's not the only pitcher yeah. that I shake. Uh, Chris Bassett was. Oh, what is he? he had like a nine earned runs or like average or like a nine ERA in three innings or some shit. Gave up three three homers in the one inning. Oh, and I mean, know. like, let's not freak out completely. Um, I think that the difference is is I think last year and this year having so much expectation, it's it kind of sours you a little bit. I think. 
you know, with the whole Jays are the favorite to win the World Series along with the Dodgers last year. And then you have the whole comment thing about, oh, that was the trailer. This is the movie. And then they didn't live up to expectations last year. And then kind of coming out like that with all the moves they made to th- to make the fans and everyone think we addressed all the issues of need. And then, yes, it's one start, but man, that is not a good introductory for Chris yeah. Bassett. It's funny because it's almost like the anti... Now, people are like hyped on the anti-hype <laughs> and they're, yeah. where, where expectations are raised now because they're taking themselves seriously, which is really weird. Um, it's also weird to me that they deployed three different second basemen over the entire series with Whit Merrifield, Kevin Biggio, and Santiago Espinal getting reps in at second base. Uh, I think they're figuring out second base. That's why. Yeah. To me, it says Espinal. I think he earned it last year, to be honest, as the majority share. You do have more left-handed bats, so you don't necessarily have to rely on Whit Merrifield to be your... But I, I thought he would he would take the second baseman gig. Um, who's impressed? Dalton Varsho has impressed me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the way that guy uh, approaches the game. Um, George Springer was very good in the first game. Um, <laughs> what a glowing endorsement. In the first game, he was great. <laughs> they're still waiting on a home run. But but this team's not expe- built to be... Yeah, I was going to say, to be expected, because they don't... They traded away their home run hitters, and I think the first game, it, in the was it the second or third inning where they kind of ran through everyone? I think that's the kind of team that this team wants to be. I think they want to be, and that's the team I've wanted for years. Don't get me wrong. Home runs are exciting. I want to see a run factory. I want to see guys running bases. I want to see them churning in hit and runs, drag bonds. Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see base runners being moved. I want to see base runners being driven in off singles and doubles. And I want to see a score being run up like 10 to... 10 to 4. I just don't want to see 10 to 9. They're supposed to have improved run prevention. But these pitchers are throwing in loaves of bread to these batters, just full on sourdoughs across the plate. You know? It's true. And it's, and I don't know if it's the pitch clock that people are still getting used to. I don't know if it's, you know, just a little bit of the yips or something. I, I don't know what it is. Mm. But, you know, I, now, now it's up to new ace Yusei Kikuchi. Angry Kikuchi, villain to Kikuchi get it done. with the beard. Right? To get um, it done. I do think that the the pitch clock is 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 messing with some pitchers. I think it's messing up their routine. I you know, I don't think a spring training is enough to get rid of twenty years of habit and routine for some of these guys, right? So I think that'll be the biggest adjustment period. Some guys will naturally be fine with it, you know grittingly i'll admit this is marcus stroman's probably a dude who the pitch clock probably doesn't matter because he was under he just goes <laughs> yeah he goes out there and hurls the ball but then you have guys like kevin gosman who you know set take their time prep their shit and then chuck the ball like i would not be surprised if he's going to come real close on a lot of occasions yeah and pitching is a mental game as much as it is a physical game and mm-hmm. with all the restrictions around the pitch clock, when you can check runners and stuff like that, like it's 
it's got to be a lot of things to keep in mind in your head. The other thing I, I, I was going to say, too, that I didn't actually think about until just now. I wonder if there's something to pitchers now calling their own games and not being used to doing that. Like Traditionally, the catcher would call the game, like the pitches and stuff, and, and would confer with the pitchers and then call the pitches and they'd shake it off or whatever. But with mm-hmm. pitch comms now, especially like for example, Alec Manoa was calling his own pitches, I believe, from his glove, using pitch comm to the pitcher to the catcher. So it sounds weird, and maybe I'm not communicating it the way I want to. But no, it makes the sense. dynamic changes because you're not relying on your game plan between the two of you from the catcher's perspective you're now taking the charge from your perspective to tell the catcher, I'm going to throw this pitch. So it takes that discussion and strategy a little out of the way. Like, can a, can a catcher shake off a pitcher? Right. I just, I think, I don't think defensively it makes sense for a pitcher to cat, to call your own game like that. Mostly because he gets the two second check. He can check a base every now and then catcher sees it at all times. Right. So he can say, you know, through the thing or, you know, through hand signals and whatever, what he wants to do based off of, you know, the pitcher checks the runner at second, turns back around that runner, all of a sudden one, two feet off the bag or a little bit further off the bag than he was on the previous pitch. You know, so the catcher can say, hey, I think he's going to go. Let's throw it over here. You know, so how does that dynamic work now in terms of, defensive responsibility and preparedness because the catcher how i've always known it is he commands the defense top to bottom and pitching is the defensive aspect of the game so i just think that for a guy who's got his back to the rest of the play at all times i personally don't think it's a great idea yeah, the other thing too is the catcher sits there over a three or four game series, and if he's in each game, he sits behind these batters for two, three, four games at a time. So mm-hmm. he watches these guys in real time within two feet so much while a pitcher pitches once every four or five days. Yeah. Right? So he, could, he picks up on some of their idiosyncrasies and some of their habits and. You know, or like you said, I think the one you said that was good was the placement. Like the the catcher will, and I, I be, there's probably still a level of discussion. But if you're like, hey, throw it down and away so I can gun this guy down at second because he's gonna run. Like that's when mm-hmm. the pitcher's calling his own pitch and he's like, no, nah, I'm throwing it high and tight. Like you're fucked, right? So yeah, I, I feel like I feel like there was a flow, and I feel like now there's gonna be confusion, and I wonder if that's that's part of it. I don't know. They probably give him a shot, and then if it goes bad over a few starts, they're like, okay, no oh. more. Yeah, yeah, we're, um, we're taking your license away, pal. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of when Mark Sanchez started to call his own games in the Jets, and that was his collapse. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah. think there's there's one thing, and every athlete gets to where they are because of an ego, but at the same time, when your ego starts infringing on team success, that's when you got to check it a little bit. You know, I, I believe as a pro athlete, you need that level of ego to be successful, but not at the cost of the team. And, you know, I think they will say, yeah, we can try this out a little bit. And I'm sure they did in preseason, but it's preseason. Like you're facing double A, triple A batters. You know, it may not be the same, but 
I think they give him like three, four starts doing calling his own pitches like that sometimes. And if it doesn't work out, I think they pull the cord on it real quick. Yeah, I don't um, disagree. I think I think you have to give them an opportunity because they are professionals and then they do have the ability. And I think if you don't, you're probably going to sour their perception. But I mean, you're right. If it doesn't go well, you pull a shoot and you say, you know, appreciate what you're trying to do here. But I think it's time you sit back down. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So before I know we transition on to something else. Um, Something that happened this week that we, I guess, forgot to mention off the top that kind of has a little bit of a resolution is Anthony Rendon has been suspended for five games and fined an undisclosed amount for his altercation with a fan. Now, you know, this video came out, we saw it, and Rendon grabbing the fan and kind of chirping him said, you call me a little bitch, eh? He's like, why don't you do something holding him and whatever. Um, So because of that, he's been... Like I said, suspended for five games, find an undisclosed amount. He's appealing the suspension so he can play until the appeal gets settled. But beyond just the whole Rendon situation, in terms of fan interaction with athletes, okay, where do you stand on it? Because I have a very, very kind of hardline viewpoint on it. I feel if you pay your ticket, yes, you can go, you can yell, you can heckle and shit like that within certain lines. I believe that once you overstep those lines, either A, you're gone, or B, you got to expect some guys are going to lose their shit. Um, and it's all easy for these guys to, you know, and by these guys, these fans to sit there and yell and scream and, you know, act tough from the stands because they know they're protected. They know these guys can't risk their entire careers doing anything. but. 99.9999999999% of the time, if a fan gets into it with an athlete, he's going to get washed. <laughs> like, it's not even close, right? Um, I just think at some point that there has to be a certain level of accountability for fans as well. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um, I think... Especially I, yeah. for sports like baseball, basketball, which the fans well, are so close to the players. Yeah, in basketball, they actually issue you warnings saying, like from the NBA, saying, you know, part of your agreement sit here is to be respectful, so you can't say things overtly, you know. Unless you're Spike Obscene. Lee. Yeah, well, right. Um, I think that, you know... The, the other the, the sides of the argument is I pay for a ticket. I can say or do whatever I want. I don't entirely believe that. Mm. I think buying a ticket is a contract to come watch the game that somebody Not else is putting on. And you still have to abide by, you know, the rules of where you're going. It's not your house. Uh, all you bought was ticket to entry. You didn't buy a ticket to be a dick. So I don't entirely believe that. I think... To me, the funnier chirps are, are the ones that are lighthearted and, and funny anyway. Uh, usually, like almost where the guy's just up, like... <laughs> yeah, usually the player kind of ends up laughing back, right? Those are yeah. the best. And then you give you, you cheer for them and you give them a little nod and they usually nod back. It usually happens to baseball outfielders. Um, oh, I gave it to Gentry one year when he was with Oakland. Me and a buddy just 
all game giving it to him. And at one point, he just kind of turned around and smirked. And that was it. And it was nothing obscene. We just kept saying, hey, Gentry for the whole game, just when he was in the outfield. Uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I think there's got to be a level of accountability on their sides. I mean, I don't I don't agree with. I mean, you're supposed to be a professional ball player, which means you got to have thick skin and you got to you got to just walk to to the clubhouse and and let it go. Um but at the same time, I mean, there's obviously a line and everyone crosses it. What what was said again? I I can't I don't Listen, I can't for life of me imagine that what was said crossed the line for Rendon. Yeah, I'm not sure completely what the guy had said to him. I only saw the video near the end of the altercation where he had him by like the shirt and he was like pulling him towards and like Rendon's no small dude. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. He said, okay, so the discipline arises out of an opening day incident in Oakland. Rendon got into an argument with an A's fan whom he said had called him a bitch. Rendon was holding this fan shirt through the guarded rail that spat in which he called a fan a motherfucker Rendon then swiped towards the fan's head with his left hand although it didn't appear he made any contact the all-star infielder then walked down to the dugout so that's the extent of it now if this guy like if i'm reading this correctly fan shirt through the guardrail that spat so if the fan did spit on him then fucking worth it yeah i mean that's right? kind of where the line like i i think that's right where the line is i think you know, now you're getting into physical altercations from the fan side. And to me, it's, it was kind of the same thing in, in indie wrestling for me was always like, listen, pal, if you're going to, if you're going to involve yourself, then you've involved yourself. Right. <laughs> if they're like jabronis like to slide in the ring and, and be goofs. Yeah. You're it's open seasons. Suplex. Yeah. Suplex elbow drop kick to the balls forearms to the face uh well it's it's really bad with wrestling because there's no we're baseball football hockey especially hockey basketball well not so much basketball but there's barriers in between you and you know the field of play in wrestling it's you know and there's security guards in wrestling that's not there not in the same way no i mean especially in indie wrestling there's just yeah. not uh it's not the same in terms of um, the the level of, of space between you and the performers, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, I mean, again, the way I see it, you involve yourself, that's on you. Um, I, think, I think for Rendon, if the guy did spit on him, I think three games and like three games suspended without pay would be enough. I don't think five games and a fine. Can we quickly talk about the return of the the mustache in baseball? Holy shit, does it yes. look like the eighties? Eighties out there this this season. Custer City, dude. That Steven Nogasek from the Mets, dirty duster. You gonna look no, up this no, man? Steven Nowak? No, is that, I don't know how to pronounce it. There's not a W in there. Oh, here, sorry. No, no, no go. N O G O. N O G O. Oh, here. No go. Holy shit. That's a Tom Selleck level of duster. Dude, that is Magnum PI. 
auditioning for Top Gun 3, Return to the 80s. This guy wants to be in Three Men and a Baby 4. He is giving out free mustache rides on September 3rd for Mets v. Yankees. And then if you're speaking of, is it, who's the other guy I'm thinking of from the Yankees? Is it Cortez? Look at that dude, soup strainer. Cortez, I don't Cortez know. Cortez, Yankees. That guy has a Nestor Cortez Jr. That man, that dude looks like he had a guest spot on Narcos with that mustache. That dude looks like he wants to be the next Dr. Disrespect. The Spanish (laughs) Dr. Disrespect of baseball. Yeah. I don't know. I'm a fan of it. Bring the mustache. Apparently, Team Italy did it for the World Baseball Classic, but... I'm all for it. Bring, let's go. Jack Morris. Remember his duster? Oh, yes. Legendary. That was, yes, that was a legendary stash. Like, there's a few stashes out there that you, when you, when you hear Dennis, the word mustache, dude, that you, Dennis Eckersley, what a, that is a mean, dude. Dennis Eckersley, okay, first of all, he was a tough piece of shit. His mustache yes. looks like kick your ass. That is Dennis Eckersley. Look at this man. That mustache would, you want to talk, you know, they say like, oh, you discipline your children. Dennis Eckersley's mustache beat the fuck out of his kids. That is how tough that mustache was. You know what they need though? Cause like, if you look at some of the famous mustaches in history, someone needs to do the Lando Calrissian, nothing in the middle and just kind of off the nostrils t- to the sides. Oh, I'm pretty sure like somebody did that. I'm pretty sure like it's a. a- Henry Cavill's mustache in Mission Impossible was an epic level stash. But yeah, I, I just want all of them back. Bring them back. Like Fred McGriff, sweet stash. And it seems to always be associated with baseball. A bit, I mean, Devon White, sweet stash at the time. Yeah, you know? like some like some of these guys, man. It's I wish I could grow a mustache like that, but like mine would look patchy and weird. Like you could do it. I've been tempted to for November. It's just that I have my face is too fat these days. I can't. I can't risk losing. I can't risk showing the the extra, the extra company, the extra, the extra chin straps space on the bottom. You know, I, I, I kind of feel you though. I gotta do those TikTok exercises from that guy who says he's a doctor. Where he's <laughs> stretch my neck up and stretch my neck out. You but, showed me that guy, and it like it's now haunting me, and it's like upsetting me. But yeah, I just I thought it funny. Like it seems to me that the whole '80s mustache is about to come back. Um, yeah, I like it. Like Ted Lasso, he's got the stash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's part of it. Maybe the mustache itself is just back in in general. But it thinking about '80s mustaches on baseball players almost reminds. Remember, in the, I know we're getting off topic here. But remember in the early days of Facebook that uh, that uh, Facebook group that was the. Um, <laughs> Mediocre players of the 90s for oh. NHL. Oh my God. What a fantastic <laughs> Facebook group. And I think that if that, like, that's what Facebook was originally meant for. And we've lost oh, our yeah. way. We've lost our way. We have, like, I remember when Facebook was dumb shit like that, where it was just, like you said, the mediocre players of the 90s. And I remember it's like throwback video game characters or like tertiary characters. Like, and it was simple. Now it's just yep. become too big of an ecosystem in whatever that it's just eh. 
Like, do you remember where it's just like you could either poke or like someone's thing? You wrote a post and you could upload a photo or two, and then there's pages. That was it. That was it. Now it's all sorts of algorithms, disinformation, people lowballing you on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, I feel like Facebook Marketplace is a cesspool. It's uh, it's the grimy area of the world, but that's where I live. Um, let's switch gears a little bit to the big news in sports and or entertainment. Uh, this weekend was WrestleMania, and again, we're not going to get into the the show of shows. Uh, this week, we'll we'll wait for Dustin Perry's return so he can give us a first hand account of how things went down. A lot of noise coming out. Oh, speaking of mustaches. You put it in that chat. Whoa, <laughs> Vinnie Mac. We're talking about... Oh. We're talking about well, I, listen, some people... Again, Dennis Eckersley wears a moron or wears a mustache. A moron. <laughs> I said some people Some people put a mustache on and look like a moron. Vince McMahon looks like a moron with a mustache. It does not look like... it. Like, not just the Dude. mustache. It looks like he's auditioning to be the next facial uh, model for Just for Men. Dude, he looks like he's auditioning to be in the Rene Rancourt biopic. <laughs> oh, very nice. That's yeah, a but pull. he's not playing. He's not playing Rene Rancourt. He's playing Robert Goulet, who is playing Rene Rancourt. <laughs> <laughs> he so. looks like honestly, it looks like he's auditioning to be in the next Adams Family movie because he looks like all plastic surgery. It looks like he fingered someone's butt and then wiped his nose. <laughs> And left a streak of shit across the upper lip. It it looks bad because it's yeah. not just the mustache either. It's the it's the Botox in the cheeks. Oh, it's it the, is. It's and it's okay. When someone usually this is what I'll say. When you see a guy who just ferments his shit, it might just be like the mustache, the beard, and maybe the hair. He did the eyebrows. Like dude, the dude uh, looks fucking. I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it. Like I'm looking at him. I, I said this in the chat and it's like, this dude looks like he wants to be the next Zorro. Like he wants to be Anthony Hopkins in the next Zorro being the former Zorro educating the new Zorro. Yeah. It's a bad look. But anyway, what's yeah. not a bad look is $9.3 billion. Jeez. And that is what WWE has been agreed to be sold for in principle to endeavor the parent company of the UFC Ultimate Fighting Championship. Now, don't want to get too much into this because I know love to have Dustin's uh, perspective on this as, you know, another resident pro wrestling guy. And I don't know how heavy he is in the UFC, but... Uh, he's pr- from everything he's talked about, he watches it pretty in-depth. I fell out of the UFC once they started having fights every day and I lost track of all the fighters and Anderson Silva went through and beat everybody and there were no real contenders anymore and it felt kind of weird. Um, yeah. From from you who's, you know, uh, a long... who was a fan of both in a previous time. What's what's your perspective on this and, and how... Do you think this changes anything? I think the only thing it really changes is cross marketing. I think what you might see is an easier transition for some UFC guys who may be like, Hey, I can't fight at the level I want to. I'm going to go do WWE. 
you may see some guys that are younger in WWE who maybe have some MMA backgrounds who went to, you know, whatever, who may get an opportunity. Um, it also depends on what the structure looks like top to bottom. Like if they keep Jean-Paul Levesque around as being like, hey, we're going to own it. There'll be a CEO or whatever, but you'll be like head of creative or whatever. So I think it'll be good things. It's funny you mention that. So the way it's broken down right now is that there will be a new company under Endeavor that houses both UFC and WWE, but each will have its own president. So Nick Khan will still be president of WWE. Dana White will still be president of UFC. Uh, Okay. And then Vince McMahon will still be the executive chair of the new company overall. So So he's he's getting $9 billion and he's still going to be making... And he's getting a job. And he's getting a job. Wow, and then Aurelius, who's the current CEO of of that, is will be the I think his name's Aurelius, will be the CEO, and apparently the internal memo to WWE employees was that Triple H would stay on as creative for for WWE. So, well, you would hope so, considering that in the brief time that Vince was gone, it seemed like moods and I would say the mood and the opinion changed very quickly both in and outside of the locker room from talent as well as fan base. It seemed like everyone was more invested. People seemed more excited um, on the fan side. And it seemed like the, the talent was more trying to think of how to put this almost relieved for lack of a better term. Mm hmm. So <clears throat> I'm just curious to know if part of that comes with, yes, Vince will remain executive chair, but saying hands off of creative. Because if he's executive chair of the overall company, that is the parent company to both UFC and like this new company that's being created. My fear is that this dude's going to get hands dirty with UFC. Right. So, well... And that's it. So here's the, how the management team shakes out. And after this, maybe we'll kind of leave it here for now. Ariel Emanuel, who is the CEO of Endeavor, and he will be the CEO of the Endeavor and the new company. So they're calling it new company right now. But I've heard that uh, Endeavor has already filed to uh, a trademark or a ticker for TKO is the, is the new, or they filed for that as a ticker. I don't know if that means anything, but we'll yeah. see. Then Vince McMahon will be the new company's executive chairman. Mark Shapiro, not our Shapiro, but some other guy, Imagine. Shapiro maybe, will be Endeavor and new company's president and chief operating officer. Then Jason Lublin, or Lublin will be Endeavor's CFO. Nick Khan will be president of WWE. Lawrence Epstein, not to be confused with Jeffrey, um, will be... This is UFC's no chief operation. operating officer, Dana White, UFC president, and Andrew, let me see, Schleimer, Schleimer, will what be a new, company's, new company's chief financial officer. So Vince McMahon sold the company for $9.3 billion, got a job out of it, also now working with the UFC, interestingly enough. Um, I think... 
and I, this is the last thing I'm going to say on this. They did an interview today, and the Endeavor people said they wouldn't do the deal unless Vince McMahon was a part of it. And Vince apparently tried to leave, and they said, no, I'm not letting you go that quick. I think... I think the UFC wants to lean on Vince McMahon's expertise about creating a global brand because at the end of the day, UFC is still very siloed to North and South America in terms of their operations and events. I and think, I mean, so I think they, and they did some UK stuff, but I think they want to be bigger globally and Vince has the history and experience doing that you can separate the and relationships sorry he has relationships the network yeah i would say you can separate the dude from his track record he may be a douche he may be a skeevy asshole but the dude has results and that's the proof of that is in making nine billion dollars and them refusing to do the deal unless you stay on when you're trying to get out to help build this company moving forward so as much as you can dislike the guy you can't you know you can't ignore the result of everything he's built taking a entertainment industry territorial business at one point yep where it was you had you know stampede wrestling and then you had you know, all those groups in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, and then him coming in what was the 80s where he really started to consolidate everything, buy up territories, buy up talent. And mm-hmm. yeah, so he knows what he's doing. You know, um, he's a ruthless businessman. And so, I mean, I'm not surprised. Shocking that that was the terms of the deal. Shocking that he's the guy who's like, I want it out. Maybe just with all oh. the shit, he's like, I'm tired. Yeah, I mean, and who knows? Maybe they're saying that to save face a little bit. Yeah. Um, we don't know how these things work, but I mean, new, basically a new super company in entertainment and kind of combat sports, which will be very interesting. I mean, you already think of the possibilities, and I'm, again, I don't want to get too, too deep into this, even though For we sure. continue to do so, but you think about a guy like Conor McGregor, mm-hmm. who would be a very big ticket on the other side of the coin in WWE in terms or- of he ever wanted to to explore that john jones right or the flip side guys who have fought in mma before like a bobby lashley Mm -hmm. does he want to take a crack at that division in ufc i don't know but it's a really interesting and yep new times we never thought we'd see it's very much like succession i don't know if you've heard about the show but i hear so much good about it and it's like wife and me talking about all the time being like should we watch it seems very odd that he wouldn't leave it to his kids and keep it in the McMahon family. He's like, fuck it, I'm out. But uh, Speaking of out, speaking of fuck it, I'm out, let's, uh, how much time we got here? Ah, we're going to have a short one this week. Let's move on to shoutouts. That is right. Everybody's favorite segment of the week, shoutouts, is here where we get to hear Maven's entrance theme, which we did not hear over the weekend at WrestleMania, even though there were classic returns uh, competing like Trish Stratus and, and Lita and 
Edge did like a whole brood entrance thing. Again, we'll talk about it more next week. But that being said, Maddie, do you have a shout so, out? So I do. Uh, a little off the board. We haven't talked about it too much uh, just because there's a lot. Um, I want to shout out the LSU women's basketball team for winning their first March Madness title. They've been to the finals a few times, uh, six attempts in the final four. Uh, they finally broke through the and to the title game and they won it all. Uh, this woman's March Madness broke all of their attendance and viewership records. Uh, they had a sellout of 19,000 and change for the final game. Um, and so, you know, a big shout out to them because, you know, that's really cool. And I think because of how big the men's March Madness tournament is, it overshadows the women's quite a bit, uh, especially because I believe they're not in the same location, even relatively close to the same location. So, you know, I, to see that kind of growth for that, you know, selling out, setting new records and whatever, and to see a team, because I remember for years, it used to always be women's UConn just dummying teams and winning it all the time. So, yep, shout out to the women's LSU basketball team for winning March Madness. Nice. That is fantastic. Yeah, you, a good point on the not being at the same location, because if they were, you'd think there'd be maybe some kind of, oh, I'll go to both. You know, yeah, and that it's not so it's an independent choice, which is awesome, and it's good to see. Uh, my shout out, uh, I put this in the chat last week, but my shout out is to Sergio Romo, who uh, he had a, a hat in spring training, and every time some some kid I would ask him for an autograph, he would in turn ask them to autograph his hat, and then he went out there and he wore that hat to the mound uh, for a game. So I think it's cool to see, you know. Athletes, some I think athletes sometimes recognize or fail to recognize that it sport is a two way street, right? If if you, the fans aren't there to support you, especially at a kid level, because those kid levels become generational fans that pump money into the system, like in perpetuity, or, or they become the players that sustain the league down the in road in the future, right? Like right. So, and then I think you know. I think the the players sometimes forget that and they they kind of remove themselves from that. You see guys who are like no autographs or whatever or guys who don't give fans the time of day, but this is kind of a cool acknowledgement and it shows that you know this guy does understand it's a two-way street and that you know without these kids cheering for him and asking for his autograph, he might not be who he is today. So my shout out is to Sergio Romo for that. I like that. Um it's also too cuz and I think with all the money thrown around and the kind of things that these dudes do, that's otherworldly and almost, you know, kind of superhero like that. We forget that they were kids who just loved watching the game at one point. Mm-hmm. I think they forget right? that. They do. And I think to see that a guy like Romo, he probably he's he's still that kid that never really grew up that. Yes, he's, you know, in the game and whatever, but he's still that kid at heart and remembers being that kid. So um no that's really cool uh and as you said just before shout it's being a shorter episode one because we didn't spend 45 minutes talking about our previous weeks so that's probably why true we cut dustin's shit out yeah, just kidding get, get his bullshit segues out of here <laughs> yes sir uh that's it for us this week uh thank you for joining us make sure to subscribe leave a review on any of your 
podcast platforms of choice. Uh, also, if you can follow us on all socials at 43.6 uh, for Maddie. Uh, myself and Dustin who's not here this has been episode 50 and we'll catch you next week